Well, you are listening to The Mortification of Spin, the regular broadcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and I'm uh, one half of the hosts here. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm the teaching pastor at Church of the Savior in Wayne, Pennsylvania, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Carl Truman, who is professor of church history at Westminster Theological Seminary and the pastor of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Ambler, Pennsylvania. Uh, Carl, good to see you as always. And of course, one of the things we like to do at uh, the Mortification of Spin is to share with our listeners some of the mail we get, uh, some of the mail particularly that's encouraging to us. And I believe you have something. Yeah, it's, uh, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll just give you a, a choice quotation Love here. That. I think it's actually referring to Reformation 21 more than Mortification of oh, Spin, okay. but it says, uh, uh, please unsubscribe me. Uh, if I ever need to be insulted in the future, I'll be in touch. Uh, brother, if you're out there, we are glad we were able to serve you at that point in your, as you would probably say, journey when you needed to be insulted. And rest assured, we will be here. When you need to be insulted yeah. in the future. Yeah. Or, or we not only would we be willing to insult you, but we'd be willing to insult any member of your tribe. Yeah, it, uh, tribe is a, is a big word now, too, from what I understand, because I used it once and Dan Phillips got all over me about it. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, tribe is is a very cool word, Todd. Yeah. I think uh, you're you're too heavy these days to, to yeah. use a word like that and get away. With yeah, it. yeah. I, I would like to to be a part of somebody's tribe, but I don't know if anybody would have me. Is is the deal? It's certainly not this fellow that that was kind enough to write in to to Ref Twenty One. I know it's it's lovely to get encouraging mm-hmm. notes like that. It, I, it I would, makes it all worthwhile. I'd be. Do, do you know in in what what particular uh, insulted him? Because if we could do that again, I think I that would be important. I could go back and look at it. I mean, there's so much material that, that people this, find offensive there. It's it's difficult to know what to choose. Right. Right. So, yeah. Uh, we well, did. Go ahead. I was going to say, when we first started Mortification of Spin, of course, the puppet master, who happens to be <laughs> sitting on my left at the moment, uh, keeping control of proceedings. Uh, did say that he wanted to create an atmosphere on the program, something akin to a biker bar. <laughs> now, I'm reliably informed that in American culture, every biker bar needs a housewife yes. from West Virginia. Yes. So we're very privileged today to have on the show, in order to, to lower the tone and to bring us down <laughs> to biker bar level, we're, we're privileged to have a housewife from West Virginia. Uh, her name is is Amy Bird, probably better known to the world as the housewife uh, theologian. She runs a, a very helpful and entertaining website, The Housewife Theologian, and she's about to publish a book through Presbyterian Reformed Publishing entitled The Housewife Theologian. Uh, it's great to have you on the program, Amy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Carl. It's a privilege to be able to talk with the bald, bitter, and the aging. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't come any more bitter and aged than us. <laughs> it is true. And, and Amy, I will say also that, as I'm sure you are privileged to talk to balding, uh, bitter, middle-aged men, uh, this is the first time, we're a relatively young broadcast, but this is the first time we've had uh, someone from the uh, cannibalistic inbred mountain people uh, set, and so uh, again, welcome, and we are. I'm glad happy that to you're represent here. West Virginia. <laughs> 
excellent. I mean, is it is it as bad as people say it is, or uh, or are you quite happy there? We just stay far away from the banjo music, and we're good to go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, Amy, you've been running this blog now for a, a couple of years. Uh, could you tell the listeners the kind of stuff uh, that you put up on the blog, what you're trying to achieve through this? I'm basically just trying to achieve the fact that theology shapes our everyday living. So I basically write about ordinary events in my life and interpret them through the what I call the gospel filter. <laughs> and so, like... Today, I published an article about how I hit the back of my visitor's truck, <laughs> and I feel like the song 99 Shades of Crazy lately while my children are in ball season, and I think about how the gospel is related to all these crazy events in my life. That's excellent. I mean, now, self-evidently, by the sounds of your voice, you're obviously a woman. You're a housewife. Uh, <laughs> that's it, right. That's I, right. I've read your book. I learned a few things from it. Uh, do you think John Piper is going to be very upset with me because of that? From learning from a woman? Exactly, yes. I sure hope not. <laughs> I think I'm, Car- I'm honored just that you to... said you learned something from that because yeah. I was horrified when I knew you had that book in your hands. Uh, it helped put me in touch with my feminine side that I didn't even know I had. So, yeah, thank you very much for that. So that does exist, your feminine side. Uh, somewhere deep down in the subconscious, yes. Carl, so Carl, skinny jeans hide. Yeah. Carl cries at the drop of a hat. I mean, he'll just break into tears at, at any sign of sentimentality. It's really quite sweet. Wonderful. One of the statements in your book that caught my eye uh, is, I'll read it to you. Uh, it may be like me. Sometimes people read things to me that I've written, and I can't even remember having having written them in the first place. So yeah. feel free to plead ignorance uh, if you like. But you say this, like a speakeasy, the church is countercultural, but obviously in completely different ways. Um, first of all, how does a nice lady from West Virginia know what a speakeasy is? <laughs> and secondly... Serious question. How do you see the church as influencing culture? That, because that's a, key, that's a key buzzword, buzz phrase yes. uh, in the evangelical world at the moment. There are numerous models out there. How do you see the church, the gospel, as influencing culture? Well, I've, I've never been to a speakeasy, so <laughs> I can't exactly relate, but that image in my head has always been kind of a, a romantic image, maybe, even though it's countercultural. It's different from what everyone else is doing and following the rules in their own mind. And I see the church really not so much affecting culture by our good works, per se. I mean, my neighbor can be a very moral, wonderful person and maybe even look better than me in a lot of ways and be an unbeliever. I see the church affecting the culture around it by doing what it was built to do, and that is to worship God and to be the church community, which is very odd to the watching world. Hmm. Participating in the worship of God and the preaching of the word and the sacraments. Very ordinary things, but extraordinary grace is being given to us. Yeah, that's really good, and I I love to hear that. Uh, Carl and I recently um, spent some time with John Payne, who's in the process of planting a church in uh, in, in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, and he said very much, we had a very similar conversation in this theme of God's ordinary means as being, in the world at least, a very kind of shocking 
thing, um, that the church doesn't have to work hard um, to be shocking, but just to be itself and to subsist on that which the Lord is, has given her. And so that's that's good to hear. I, I, I Now, I'm not nearly as important as, as Carl, and so I did not get a, a, a pre-release copy of your book. <laughs> Carl gets all of that sort of thing. I, I don't. Um, uh, but I, I have been on your website a number of times, which I agree with Carl. It is helpful, and it's absolutely worth um, uh, looking into. And and I I like the the name of your website. I like the name of your book because it indicates that theology is not just for quote unquote professional theologians. And what would you say to someone who would come to you with the idea that theology is just not relevant or it's not practical? Um, give me Jesus, not doctrine. That sort of thing. What What would you say to them? In the when I rise in the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. Well, as soon as we talk about who Jesus is, we're talking about theology. Mm-hmm. And um, every woman is a housewife, or every, I should say, married woman is a housewife, and every person is a theologian. Jesus prayed, um, we see in John 17, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, um, John Gerstner, in his book, Theology for Every Man, challenges us and says that everyone is a theologian. This isn't a vocation that we choose. The question is whether or not we are a good theologian or a bad theologian. Hmm. How, you know, I'm curious because, I, again, I'm, I'm very encouraged by your site because it, it captures something that I, as a pastor, I so long to see uh, birthed within the hearts of, of people that I pastor, and that is um, a, a, a vibrant a doxological um, interest in theology, because as you said, the idea of, you know, I, I love Jesus, not doctrine. Well, as soon as we begin to talk about Jesus, we're, we're into the fields of, of doctrine. But how have you, as, as a housewife, um, not a pastor, mm-hmm. how have you trained yourself uh, doctrinally? Where have you gone uh, that has been most helpful for you? Books, training, right. you know, what, what have you done that has been most helpful to, to train your mind and your heart theologically? Well, I would say the most helpful is just being in the covenantal context of my church. Mm. And you know, it was, it took a while for me to realize that, honestly, mm. um, in my early twenties, I had a coffee shop and met so many wonderful young women. And they asked me, like, after we found out, oh, we're all Christians, we came from different churches, though. Um, they asked me to lead a Bible study in the coffee shop after hours, and I did not feel equipped to do that, so I began studying. And as I began studying God's Word, I started getting help through commentaries and um, systematic theology books and church history books, and I just started soaking up Jonathan Edwards, of all people. And I came from a Baptist church. I didn't know very much about the content of my faith, the history of my faith. 
And I became very passionate about the fact that, oh, we don't just have faith in faith. Faith has content. Hmm. And this is important to know. So my pastor asked me to use the Bible study as one of the church small groups. And I was delighted with that because then I was under the leadership of the church there. And we found out, okay, I had Pentecostal in there, a Methodist in there, Presbyterian, Baptist, non-denominational. So I quickly found that even though we're all sitting there with Bibles in our laps, we had these presuppositions behind us. And so it was important then for me to turn to, or to make kind of like a little mini confession of what we were going to say that we believe. And that was our foundation. So then I was really turned on to the Westminster Confession of Faith and um, the Heidelberg Catechism. They were very helpful for me. And I was, I started the group with a study on the doctrine of the Word of God. Hmm. That's great. Yep. Yeah. Another question, Amy. Um, I mean, there's huge pressure on, particularly on, I think, on young women today. I don't have a daughter. I have two sons, but I know Todd has a daughter, and he's told me some of the pressures as a dad that he feels under, and not least the fear of the first boyfriend and this kind of thing. <laughs> but in, in, in society more broadly, we, we seem to have moved to a position where satisfaction is very much conceived of individually. Remember my grandfather's generation. My grandfather was not, as far as I know, a professing Christian. But he got his satisfaction from providing for his family. There was a, a corporate context for his personal satisfaction seems today in the West that we're much more individually oriented. Satisfaction is that which we are able to do for ourselves. And it seems that's particularly acute for, for women today. What sort of advice would you give to young woman or teenager uh, concerning finding satisfaction in the ordinary and being countercultural, not being swept up with the flow of, of consumer, individual consumerism, if you like, but of finding satisfaction in the ordinary. What kind of things would you say to somebody like that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I really wrote the book for the real, real housewives because we are all a little bit desperate as we're bombarded with um, different messages about our value and our meaning, our contribution to society and to our families. And um, all of a sudden, we're in this environment where we were told we can do it all. And we had the generation, a couple generations before us, where everybody was to be like June Cleaver, and they found their satisfaction in keeping a perfect home while wearing pearls and high heels. And then we're told, oh, no, we can be like Hillary Clinton, and we can make a huge difference in the world and still have a family, and we can do it all. And women are becoming very frustrated and and disappointed and confused. And our satisfaction is in Christ alone. Our meaning, our value, all that is fulfilled in Christ's work for us and his love for us. And I'm just convinced that we can't have this eternal perspective on our daily, everyday, ordinary lives without help. We need the covenantal context of the church. We can't do it in isolation. And when we meet up with other ordinary people living their lives just like us, we have extraordinary, very deep things to talk about, experiences to share of how God's working in our life. And as we study God's Word together, that's what's extraordinary. 
Yeah, I think it's a great emphasis on the on the church that you're bringing out there, Amy. It's certainly something that I've found in my own life really over the last 15, 20 years. I was converted in the in the early 1980s, but particularly the last 15, 20 years, to come much more to appreciate the the Sunday fellowship, the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments, the gathering together of believers as something that really does set you up for the week, if you like, and provides you with a context for addressing addressing the ordinary. Slightly uh, offbeat question at this point. Um, Uh-oh. Well, <laughs> you, I'm sure you can handle it. Um, very much appreciate uh, your emphasis upon the ordinary housewife. Uh, I think that's fantastic. As I've already hinted, you know, culture is very much, or the, the wider world is very much moving against that kind of thing at the moment. Even the people who appear on the television as the housewives seem to me to be supermodels, living very extraordinary lives. Do you think there's a danger, though, in, in Christian circles of, of an overreaction that uh, while we want to be complementarians and we want to maintain an important difference between men and women and their role in the church, there is a danger in conservative Christian circles that we could be heading towards a, a kind of patriarchalism. One of the things that, that worries me about young guys in the church is uh, male headship can so quickly become an excuse for precisely what its critics are concerned about, and that is ignorant male domination and, and abuse of women. Do you have any, have any thoughts on that? I do. I, I think this is something I struggle with because um, I am a complementarian, and I very, I was very much helped through the book that the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood put out, because I have a very strong personality, and my husband does as well. And so, you know, he's got his job cut <laughs> cut out for him, I guess. But um, that doesn't necessarily fit into a nice little box. And so, um, I do contribute for the the new women's channel for the uh, Biblical Manhood and Womanhood Council. But I disagree. I think that we're going to have a couple areas where it's going to look a little different. And so I did write an article um, about this whole women's fighting issue in the UFC. Not that I support so much the UFC, but (laughs) I support strong women. And I see nothing wrong with that. And I think that's wonderful. And if we really want to talk about the picture of biblical womanhood, there's so many other things to point to. And so I think we need to be careful how we identify that. And, you know, we might have some differences in opinion, and that's okay, too. We shouldn't be judging each other if it's, you know, outside of the biblical parameter. What role does a denim jumper play in this? <laughs> okay, that was too much. Well, and you know what? Another related issue is the whole modesty issue. Yeah. And I, I do feel like the modesty police are really out there, and it's only you know mainly targeted towards women. Yeah. And modesty is such a bigger issue than what we wear. And um, you know, I'm always asking my husband because I'm a sporty person, and you know, I wear tank tops or whatever. And I'm like, is this modest enough? And he's like, you're modest. Huh. And I think that's a big thing we have to think about. And the jumper, I'm never going to be wearing the denim jumper. <laughs> <laughs> so you're probably not going to join the OPC then, I take it. <laughs> well, and I appreciate you talking about that because um, I, I 
personally, I'm very uncomfortable around Carl sometimes because he dresses so <laughs> immodestly, and that's led to some it's problems. Aging. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just not good. Yeah, I need to lay off the muscle shirt. I, I need to get some muscles before I wear a muscle shirt. <laughs> so I take it, Amy, you don't feel at all frustrated by the fact that you can't hold office in the church. At my church, I'm very comfortable. Um, my elders are very supportive of you know what I do. And um, I don't feel frustrated at not having an office in the church. I feel um, that's a very difficult position to have. And I pray for those in that position. And I'm kind of relieved that I'm not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And how many children is it you have? Three? I have three. I have a soon-to-be 14-year-old daughter, an 11-year-old daughter, and an 8-year-old son. And what sort of things are you you doing with them in order to, to bring them up in the fear and nurture of the Lord? Well, besides the evil eye that I've perfected pretty well now as a mom, um, you know, I'm really trying to get them involved. Like one, another reason why I wrote the book is because I want high school girls brought in. I want mentoring back in the church. And I really feel like even in conservative churches, we've just separated so much by age, especially. So I'm hoping to foster with this groups with multi-generational ages together, intergenerational, I should say, so that um, we can share our experiences. I do a, a book review club at my house where, you know, I'm, I'm a big reader, so I thought, well, I should definitely be a part of a book club, but I never want to read those books, you know. So this is one where everybody reads whatever they want, and then they just come and review it. And my daughter you know, was listening in and wanting to be a part of it. So I said, great, come on in. And so now she gets to hear all the crazy conversations that we have cutting each other off. And, you know, some people are reading Christian books, some people aren't. And, but we're all, we all just so happen to be Christians. So we have that filter. And I think that just including young women and including young men with us in our everyday lives is a major way Teaching is important, of course, but having them here with us, experiencing these things, kind being where I teaching, mess up. Yeah, that <laughs> teaching al- as you go along the way. In, yes. In, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a very important point. I think the transgenerational thing as well. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the things that I think the church could be in danger of losing is when it focuses so exclusively on one age group or another. Young people learn a lot from being around older people. I appreciate the fact that at my church we have people in their 70s, 80s, even 90s. And we've got kids under 10, and we've got everything in between. I think it is helpful for for young people to see the aging process. It's helpful for young people to realize that there is more perspective on life than, than just their day and generation. So again, it brings us back to that wonderful covenantal church emphasis you made earlier, Amy. Yeah, I'm a part of a, a Tuesday morning Bible study. And just given the time, Tuesday mornings... And the fact that it started out as a, a group for widows, <laughs> I'm like by far the youngest person there. <laughs> I'm pretty much the only yet. one that doesn't have like the short haircut. <laughs> so it has been the biggest blessing to me, though. The most fabulous women, there's like 20 of them. And I've learned so much just by being included in this group. And I really want to encourage that for the rest of the church. There's so many young women like me missing out, and then like my daughters, who are missing out on the, the wisdom from these women. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's good. 
Well, it's wonderful that you were able to join us uh, today, Amy. Thank you. We've actually done a deal with Presbyterian Reform Publishing. We have uh, a number of copies of your book to give away. Uh, If you visit themortificationofspin.org to spin the wheel for a free copy of Amy's new book, uh, everyone should read the book, obviously, but one in ten can get a copy at themortificationofspin.org if you sign up there. So please uh, go to the website, mortificationofspin.org, sign up, and you stand a chance of getting hold of, of Amy's new book, The Housewife Theologian. If uh, you don't get a free copy, you should still buy it, though. It is well worth reading. Um, for those who say nothing good ever comes out of West Virginia, <laughs> this book is uh, clear evidence to the contrary. Todd, oh, do you no. have any closing uh, so. thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, just as Carl said, thank you so much, Amy, for, for joining us. I, I, as Carl was encouraged by just how central uh, the church is in your conversation, and to be reminded also of the wealth of resources there are out there for people who are interested in really training their minds doxologically um, in in the doctrine of the Word. Uh, we, we live at a unique and blessed time because of that, and um, thankful that you're uh, contributing to the wealth of resources that are available uh, to us. So press on and uh, we'll look forward to uh, those of us that aren't as important as Carl Truman we'll look forward to getting a copy of your book uh, soon thank you very much absolutely and as we close up uh, our bad word of the day frappuccino (laughs) Uh, if you want to order a milkshake have the guts to call it a milkshake don't make it sound sophisticated and Italian thanks very much for listening to Mortification of Spin please visit the website mortificationofspin.org and we look forward to being with you all next time thanks very much